everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of the Time Out with DG Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Gotera. Thanks for joining us uh, as we hear the Latin music play once again. Episode 49. We've reached 49 episodes. Third one in a row. Third day in a row, which is good, uh, considering that I was off and moving and doing all sorts of things. Uh, beforehand, you can go back to episode 47 and listen to why uh, I was gone for so many uh, so many uh, weeks. But now my house is this is a giant mess of toys and boxes and clothes all over the place. Uh, constantly asking my wife what she did with what in the kitchen. She's already organized that, so kudos to her. Uh, so we don't have a mess in there, but I have no idea where anything is. I need a map, really. I, I, she needs to draw me one uh, to make sure... I know where everything is. We got a new fridge, getting used to that whole situation. But hey, we love our new house. It's great. So we've, we've basically divided our house into phases. So we bought the house. We had some work done in phase one. We had to do a little entertainment unit. We had that custom made, built in there in a entertainment unit uh, in the living room. So we had that done. Then we got a bookcase made for the study, which is awesome. Uh, so we get that. That's phase one, right? In the painting. In phase one, also, I have a media room, so I'm gonna I'm gonna doctor that thing up. So now phase two is um, is getting stuff for that media room. Looking for a TV. Uh, that is uh, the next item on my list. So uh, hopefully I can find a good one there. Uh, I w- I was torn. I didn't know if I should go projector or TV. I know this is kind of kind of inside baseball and what I was been thinking, but I think I'm going to go with the TV instead. So house is coming together. It's a work in progress. Somebody asked me how the house is, and I say it's pretty much a work in progress every single day. <laughs> the other day I had four people come to the house all at one time, um, one to check the AC, two to fix the volume control outside for our speakers outside, three to uh, finish a painting, four, I don't even remember what the fourth one was for, maybe sprinklers, I'm not even sure at this point. People call me all the time and ask me, oh, hey, we're coming over. And like, oh, great. What are you going to do to the house? So it usually has something to do with uh, the speaker system, alarms. That's kind of been an issue, kind of putting all that stuff together. But four people all converged at once at the house. Um, so that's what we've got going on. So this episode, by the way, is uh, dedicated to something that I um, that I did a little bit of research on over the past couple of weeks um, as I prepared for a story that our news department tasked me on to do. So it was Women Hist- Women's History Month was in March. Um, so our executive producer uh, during the day, Jennifer Moore, texted me one day saying, hey, do you think you could do a story on the Battle of the Sexes match that took place in the Astrodome back in 1973? I thought that kind of came out of the blue. I'm not going to lie. We were talking about U of H and basketball and and the Rockets are playing, Astros are getting started. Rockets are awful, so there's nothing really to talk about there except their rebuilding and their draft pick uh, status. So they're not even fun to watch. Um, Astros hadn't even started yet, so I thought, okay, let's do it. Let's just dive into this a little bit. Battle of the Sexes match, I knew a little bit about it. Didn't really know so many details, but man, it's just a crazy, crazy circus-like event that was here in Houston back in 1973. The Astrodome was relatively new, they were able to get this event here to town because of some wheeling and dealing behind the scenes. There was a movie in 2017 called Battle of the Sexes. I think it was uh, uh, Steve Carell was in it. Um, and I, I, Emma Stone was also in it. She, they played the two, uh, the two tennis players in that, uh, in that particular movie. Did you go check that out? It was actually pretty good. 
I, I went and saw that too. So did a little bit of research on it. But as part of the research, I actually caught up with two ball girls that were um, that were part of the match. And what happened was back then, and I'll let I'll let some of them tell the story too. But kind of a quick recap. So one of them is Emma Batson. The other one was uh, Jennifer Donnan. Um, and so what happened was back then, obviously everything was in the paper, right? So the announcement was made. This match was coming to Houston. And so they, they were looking for ball girls, but they got such an amazing response. So many applications came in for this match that everyone wanted to be a part of that they had to host two separate tournaments, one for boys, one for girls, 120 players from around the Houston area each. And these two now ladies, back then girls, each of them 13, competed, got all the way to the semifinals and earned their way to be ball girls as part of this Battle of the Sexes match. I thought it was fascinating. I didn't know any of that. But that's the tournament that they had. And and I thought, you know, and sometimes when you do these interviews with people that have been a part of historic events and historic moments in sports, it's usually fond memories, right? I mean, you, you look back at it and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I was there. I, they may sound cliche, yada, yada, but I was so surprised by the reaction that I got, especially from Emma. Uh, I say Emma. Uh, Eva. Eva's her name. Goodness me. I said Emma. It's not Emma Batson. Her name is Eva, so apologies to uh, Eva for that. Early on, I called her Emma, and I did it later on. But I corrected myself. It's Eva. Eva Batson. So her reaction to this whole thing was actually interesting. And I'm going to let you hear her take on it, too, coming up, as well as Jennifer's. But first, we go to Dale Robertson. He was a longtime sports writer here in this town, wrote for the Houston Post back in the day when he covered this match. One of his first big events for the Houston Post was covering the Battle of the Sexes match. He went on to cover a lot of tennis here in town over his over 40-plus year career, writing sports and being a columnist. Then he went on to write for the Chronicle, too. So... Here's Dale Robertson talking about this Battle of the Sexes match. He had some interesting nuggets to share. I thought it was really cool to hear his take on it because he was there. And so here's Dale talking about that Billie Jean King, Bobby Riggs showdown back in 1973. So, Dale, when, when I say Battle of the Sexes, uh, what immediately comes to mind? Let's start there. Well, one of the, uh, one of the craziest nights in my sports writing, uh, writing tenure, and I was only a year into my sports writing tenure when I was sent out to cover the cover the Battle of the Sexes, uh, Bobby Riggs, Billie Jean King, of course, and had been assigned to the Billie Jean camp, which uh, sadly was uh, not all that interesting because Billie Jean was, uh, she was totally zoned in and focused. She wasn't being funny. She was practicing. She was grim-faced every day. Riggs, meanwhile, was doing all sorts of crazy stuff uh, across town, popping vitamins, doing push-ups, and act, acting the fool like Bobby could do like nobody else. So, unfortunately, I wasn't around him in the lead-up. I was only around her. What was the um, atmosphere? Obviously, looking back on it, it was, it was a huge uh, it was a huge match, momentous occasion for the sport, um, in the Dome, all that. But what, what was it like leading up to it, being in that atmosphere, kind of getting ready for that? Well, again, so, so, uh, during that period, you know, the Astrodome at that point was only eight years old. And it was attracting these kinds of circus-like events. There had been some big fights. There had been some other strange things out there. And uh, uh, the reason the match ended up in Houston was because of a woman named Gladys Hellman, who was the real mover and shaker behind this. She was she was living in Houston at the time. You know, we can go, we can go on about her in a moment because she 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 was the real unsung heroine of this whole thing. Uh, but. Yeah, it was crazy. There were 30,000 people there, which of course, but it was configured in a way that it seemed like there was more. 
And if I'm not mistaken, that is still the largest crowd ever to see a tennis match in the United States. So you were telling me that that was your first, that was your first tennis match. I had never seen a tennis match before that night. And I got to, afterward, I thought, man, I don't know sport, but I think I'm going to get intrigued by it. And ultimately, I ended up becoming a tennis writer here for 40 years. So, <laughs> so what was the what was the buzz like in the building? It's well, such it was a big a, building for a tennis match. It's so weird. I would I would imagine it's just so different to see it that. Was, well, it, it, it was it was extremely loud. There's a lot of energy, and there was, there was a, lot, a lot of really good-natured, I think, stuff going on between husbands and wives, boyfriends and girlfriends. It was clearly every woman in the building that I could tell was certainly behind Billie Jean, and male thought that Bobby was going to try to defend our honor. Well, <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. You know, she, you know, she, she was brought out on a, on, on a chariot pulled by pulled by bare-chested slaves. You know. Anything that could possibly be politically incorrect today was allowed to happen that night. What was, the, why was that so important? Why was that moment so important, not just for the sport, but the evolution of women's sports, you think? Well, it, it uh, you know, you kind of laugh that it required, you know, because it was just a circus-like event. I mean, I mean, Bobby Riggs mid-50s, way past anything resembling his prime. Billie Jean wasn't even in her prime. She was 29, although I do believe she'd won Wimbledon that summer. Uh, Riggs had, had cleaned Margaret Court's clock that summer or that previous spring. Court was considered the best woman in the world at the time, and she was totally not up to the theatrics of the thing. Mm. Billie Jean was tough as nails. And, you know, and I, don't know, did it, I don't know if it changed history. I think it was the first step, step towards equal prize money coming to women's tennis, certainly at the major events. The tours never became close to equal. But the major major tournaments, ultimately within the next ten years, uh, equal you know uh, started giving men and women equal prize money. So of course it was it was important only from a, a hugely symbolic standpoint. But it was mostly a circus, and of course you'll you know rumors have persisted to this day that Riggs threw the match. I don't think he did. Uh, I had a very very up, uh, very good seat, and he looked like he was pretty frustrated that he was about to be beat, beaten by this woman, even though she was one of the best women players in the world, and he was just he was just an old has-been. <laughs> what um, what do you think about when you see pictures and, and highlights of that old match, given that you were there? I mean, you always kind of get brought back to that moment. And what what kind of pops into your mind when you see old images and, and pictures of it? Well, it you know brings back you know certainly the you know the the genesis provenance of my own career in Houston. It was probably the first really big thing I was allowed to cover, to be quite frank. Uh, but but what I always snap back to, and you're going to find this strange, was not that night. It was the next afternoon. So after all of the, you know, after after the circus, you know, they took the tent down and everybody left. Billie Jean was in Houston playing the Virginia Slims of Houston. It, you know, the tour was founded here in Houston too, which is another reason, you know, another it all circles back to the woman uh, Gladys Hellman. But I went out to uh, what was called the Netset Racket Club. It is the same club that uh, Jim McInville, Mattress Max, owns today. Mm -hmm. Westheimer was a two-lane road, and there were no houses around it. Just sat there in the middle of nowhere. I sat down with Billie Jean for almost an hour the next day by myself. It's like literally, it was. It was. It happened. It was over. You would have, you know, can you imagine today? I mean, she would have been held. There'd been 300 people at the press conference the next day, but it was just, it was just me and her the next afternoon. First time I ever got to know her, and we, we became fast friends from having talked to her recently. But, you know, we first, you know, <laughs> well, what, what was, what was her reaction to the whole thing? What was that, her immediate reaction that, that you, that conversation that you take away, what she well, said? All the, 
you know, you know, she had, she had, she had to be tough and focused to not let the circus get in the way. Cause she knew she was a better tennis player than he was. Margaret Court was too, but Margaret, Margaret Court couldn't, couldn't handle the theatrics. But once she'd won and it was over, I mean, it was, it, you talk about emotionally draining. I think anybody who wins a big sports event, whether it's a heavyweight championship fight, would probably not be too good the next day uh, playing or, or fighting again. And in her case, she got beaten bad, got beat badly in her next match in, uh, in the regular tournament by Francois Durr, who ended up winning the tournament, you know, a very middling French player. So did, could you sense that it, it, was a, it was a big moment for her? Well, she, she, she felt like it was a big, a huge moment for her, but she, she did truly believe that she had done something important that would make a difference for women's sports going forward. And I believe, I believe that that's true because sometimes perception is reality, even if it's a flawed, flawed perception and a flawed reality. Had she lost the match, and she, she, told, she told me this that day, and she, she, she said this to many people, not just to me, but the next day she said, if I hadn't beaten that guy, women's tennis would have been set back 50 years. We'd have been, we'd have been laughed out of buildings. Promoters wouldn't wanted to mess with us. And uh, so from an outsider, from an outsider looking at the sport back then, did you, did you, did you kind of see that same thing or, you know, cause yeah, she's so I, invested in it. Right. You know, it, it, I was coming at it from a strange place because I, I had not covered any major championships at that point. I didn't see the inequity, uh, you know, the inequalities in the sport, but uh, it, it was, it was impressive to see, how she held up under in, in an event that was frankly designed to break her. It was the, the it was true, truly intended by the by the money backers to humiliate her. Now Gladys Heldman, who put it together behind the scenes, was certain that Billie Jean could handle the pressure, and that's the only reason she decided to get involved. So what was her role in it? How did she how did she make it happen? How did well, she get it here? Let me explain Gladys a little bit. Uh, you know, when they, they made the, when they made the movie a few years ago, Sarah Silverman played her, and uh, if anybody you know and, and and played her well. Uh, Gladys moved to Houston in the late 1960s because her husband Julius, a former national junior tennis champion, was a Shell executive, and Shell moved their headquarters to downtown in the late 60s. So now, since Gladys is leaving Manhattan, where she was a major power broker and knew everybody was anybody. One of her closest friends was the chairman of Philip Morris, and that's why Virginia Slims became the sponsor of the tour. Mm. But Gladys was, she wasn't just smart, she was brilliant. She had Phi Beta Kappa graduate of Stanford University. So, you know, and again, a pioneer in that, in that regard and a, a, a super champion of women's rights. I mean, you know, everybody remembers the Gloria Steinem's, uh, mm -hmm. but Gladys Hellman, in, in a much quieter way, played just as big a role in, in moving things forward at a faster clip than they had been going. And she was at the time a proud Houstonian. Had they, uh, she and Julius lived out in Memorial. And Jad Gladys was still a damn good tennis player. She cleaned my clock the first time I ever played her. And, but no surprise there, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> so, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was cool that it was, you know, her, her role, you know, is, is long forgotten by most folks, but I cannot stress enough how this thing would not have come together if without Gladys pulling the strings together and getting the financial backers. And, and there was no, she had no financial stake in it, but she had a huge emotional stake, but she, she, you know, she, she was betting big time on Billie Jean, you know, lurching this thing forward a, a little bit, you know. So what were the other, um, what were the other contenders for, for this match to be held? What cities? I'm sure, there were well, other there were some, cities uh, throwing their names in the hat. There seemed to be some talk on the East Coast. Uh, 
Um, Hilton Head Island, uh, you know, there were a couple of tennis resorts in Florida that were vying for it. But ultimately, of course, nobody could, nobody could uh, sell 30,000 tickets. The Astrodome was the natural, natural venue. And you, can't, you have to also understand how, how important uh, in, in America's sports psyche the Astrodome was in 1973. It was a big deal. You know, nothing like it had ever existed before. So it was one of those wonderful moments in history for a lot of great, a lot of important things conver converged at once and it turned into a very successful event. What did Billie Jean think of the Astrodome? Uh, she said it was, uh, it, it was, it was really difficult uh, for depth perception. Same thing basketball players at the time were telling you. But uh, again, she was that steely focus she had. She, she got over that part of it and, and she got over the nerves, but she had a really hard time. She'd never played on a court where there was no backdrop, you know, <laughs> because even at US Open, you had stands, big, big stands right there. So yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a crazy night. A great, great memory for me. And finally, what, where does that rank in your career? You've covered so many big events here and away from Houston, you know, throughout your uh, journalism career. What, where does that particular one rank? You know, honestly, I'm not sure I, I covered anything in Houston in the 46 years that I did it that had more, you know, had, had a bigger impact, you know, globally. You know, I, did, I didn't do any of the fights here and the fights that were held here were not, not historic. There was no thrill in Manila in the Astrodome. So I'd, I'd put it right at the top of things that I've covered in Houston, obviously a lot of Super Bowls and Tour de France's and Olympics and all of that. But uh, in Houston, Texas, that was, it's, it, was, it, was, it was a big deal and it's a great memory for me personally. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dale. I appreciate you taking yeah. the time. Uh, now I got to see, so I was able to track down video of the match, but it's owned by ABC. Yeah, yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, so now I have to figure out whether or not I can even air that because yeah. I talked to our folks at CBS, the national headquarters. They said there's only three things that they can't share. They can't share the Olympics, they can't share World Cup, and they can't share Muhammad Ali uh -huh. video because it's all owned by ABC. And so they don't know where this falls. So I've got all this great video of the match, but I don't even know <laughs> if I can use it. So that's my next hurdle here. So we'll oh, hey, uh, uh, send, send me a you know send me a text or something. Let me know when you put the put the thing together and, and how it all plays out. Of course, I obviously want to see it. Oh yes, I will. I will. I I think it's probably going to air later in the week. I would think because I'm doing the interviews with the the two ball girls tomorrow. Obviously, uh, we we're you know pretty much kids here, and they've, they've grown up and stayed in Houston. Oh yeah, well yeah. I mean, they played at Rice. They they end up playing at Rice, and so I think one's now in Colorado. Spent some time here. And the other one lives here in Houston too. So, I mean, they, they were they they sent me a picture. They were right there on the court. In mm -hmm. fact, one of them got called out by the referee during the match. Apparently, so she's got a funny story about that. So, it'll be kind of it'll be kind of interesting. Yes, it, it's a shame that you know, given that the women's women's professional tennis, as we know it today, began here in the fall of 1970, mm -hmm. uh, but the, the the tournament died in 1995, 1995, which is what now, 20, 25 quarter of a century ago. Yeah, right. And we, you know, and then and, and never had another women's tournament here again. So that's, that's great, 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 great tennis history in Houston because of yeah. that. So that was Dale Robertson. Thanks to him for uh, joining me uh, for uh, an interview that I thought was really cool. Um, some very interesting insight there from Dale. He's got so many stories. I mean, you could probably talk to him for days and days and days about all the things that he's done here in Houston covering sports. Obviously, the run-in with Dan Pastorini, a lot of people remember that, but that's that's just, just one of many, many cool and fun moments and just a really, really awesome career that Dale's had here covering sports. 45 years or 
however long it's been, it was for Dale. And that's that's not something you see very often, especially in this industry. So shout out to Dale and thank him for joining me too. And now to the interviews with the ball girl. So uh, Jennifer and Eva, um, you'll hear the difference in what they thought uh, about this matchup and what their takeaways was and what they remember most about this whole thing. Uh, first, we're going to go to Jennifer. She talked to us about um, her experiences as a ball girl, what led up to it and the whole thing. And uh, she played tennis at Rice. Uh, she she went on to play tennis at Rice. Eva went on to play at Tulane. But first, here's Jennifer talking about uh, her memories of this matchup. What's the first memory when you when you think of your experience being there at the dome, being on the court? Can you when you think back on it, can you even believe that all that stuff even happened? That you were there for that that huge moment? Most people can't believe I was there for that moment because almost everyone I know remembers it, even my children who weren't around at the time because it was in 1973 and I was 13 and um, it was such a huge deal for tennis players and then just anybody in Houston because, you know, it was this big women's lib thing and the 70s was all about uh, women in sports um, the first Virginia Slims had been in 1970 at the Houston Racquet Club. Mm -hmm. And I had attended that and gotten all, every woman's signature on my tennis shoes. <laughs> so you, you really, you, I mean, so Billie Jean did interviews and all that. And you, you understood the enormity of the moment, right? Even we at did. 13 years old, we you, did. you understood. And as little girls, we wanted her to win so badly. <laughs> And we were thrilled that she did win. And um, they really played up the male chauvinist pig thing. And I did sort of research and remember that Bobby Riggs, I think he really needed to do this to make some money. I think he was bankrupt at the time. And I read that he had played Margaret Court first and she had lost to him, but was very nervous. And I don't know how Billie Jean couldn't have been nervous because there were 30,000 people at the Astrodome and it was a huge event. I think there were even billboards, you know, on the streets. Can you, um, when, I, when I tell you that 90 million people watch that match around wow. the world, what do, what do, you, what do you think about when, I, when you hear that number, that 90 million people probably saw you out there? <laughs> I was a little peanut on the side of the court not doing much, but getting to watch the game. Um, well, I just think it shows what was going on at the time. And we'll, women were fighting for, you know, equal pay. That's what Virginia Slims was about. And um, Bobby Riggs, you know, had said, oh, women aren't worth watching and they're not worth equal pay. And I'm 55 years old and I can beat the top woman player. And so Billie Jean took him on and, you know, I think she beat him fairly. Mm -hmm. There were rumors that he tanked the match and, you know, I'm sure someone knows, but at the time that didn't come out. No. And all of us little girls just thought she beat him fair and square and we're beyond thrilled. What did that do for you, um, that moment seeing her win? Uh, was it inspirational to you? Did it, I mean, did that kind of just ignite, reignite that fire that you already had for the sport? Like, how did, how did you react afterwards being a part of that, and how did it influence you? Well, I guess I've always been sort of 
Well, for sure, I've always been about equal rights. I'm a third daughter of a family that all went to Rice, and my dad made sure that all of us girls got an education and could support ourselves. So I was already kind of into that. So I guess it just made me feel really good. <laughs> so um, what was it like being on the court? Oh, it was so much fun. It was such a huge event. She came in, I think she was pulled by a bunch of men in a chariot, and she had brought a pig to give to Bobby Riggs. And he came in, I think, with supermodels pulling him. And it was just the time of my life, really. It was a childhood highlight, for sure. We got to take the day off of school. We ball-girled for celebrity, a celebrity doubles tournament all day long before the big match in the evening. And um, I got to sit on the sideline, basically, and was supposed to retrieve balls that went into the floor-level grandstands, which really didn't happen. So I just got to sit on the court and watch. Were you nervous um, being out there? <laughs> I would have been nervous had I been actually chasing the balls. Like Eva. Like what? Eva. Eva, yes, that was very nerve-wracking. And I had ball-girled earlier in the day, but I really just sat on the court and got to watch and was there for extra balls going out into the middle of nowhere. So it was awesome. And now we head to Eva and Eva's take on this whole thing. And you're going to hear it. She was very candid with me about what she thought about Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs, as well as a story she shared about uh, Bobby Riggs, which is mind-blowing. I couldn't believe it. And especially, if that happened today, we'd have some serious, serious issues. Should have been back then, too. But here's Eva talking about that. Well, so... I come from a tennis family in, in Texas and Texas was a big, strong, you know, it was California, Florida and Texas. So the matches, the match was about to, you know, they were advertising it and it was happening in Houston. It was a big deal. And so the, the junior tennis committee was a community was really excited because Houston Chronicle ran um, an ad in the paper that they were looking for ball girls and ball boys. And so you had to sign register in the old fashioned way, sign your application that was printed in the paper and you would send it in. And they had such an overwhelming response of tennis players from Houston or surrounding you know, areas that they had to pick 120 girls, 120 boys, and you had to play a tournament. And so it was kind of rare to even get in the tournament because I have an older sister and a younger brother and all three of us were big active state ranked tennis players. And I was the only one out of the three whose name got picked out of the hat. So, yeah, so you had to, you had to win the, you had to get to the finals to be a ball girl or a ball boy. And then to get to the semis, you were kind of a secondary ball girl or ball boy. So I played and I got to the finals and Pam Hill from Beaumont beat me. And that it was a Sunday when we played our finals and Bobby Riggs was in town uh, to do some promotional work uh, for, the, for his big match. So he was actually at the trophy presentation, which was a big deal for wow. us little kids. Yeah. So on that particular Saturday, as was the trend, I was wearing a little, little tennis top show that showed my midriff 
and then a little skirt. And as he presented me with my trophy, he asked me if he could autograph my midriff. And yeah, well, yeah, kind of a little abrasive. And I was very quick and I said, no, you may autograph my trophy. Mm -hmm. So he took back my trophy and he autographed the bottom of my trophy, which is probably still in my parents' attic in Houston somewhere that I still probably have this trophy that he signed. So anyway, that was kind of my first experience with Bobby Riggs. And honestly, as a young child and a young female, it wasn't very, I was a little taken back. Yeah. How old were you then? What, what year were what year? 13. What year was the Battle was of the Sexes? 73 was the, was the match. Okay, how old was I in 73? 13. 13. Okay, 13. So, so then, so you're a finalist. So then how, so I, did they just kind of rotate you guys in during the match or how, how did that, how'd that work? Well, you know, I don't really remember to be perfectly honest. Um, it was kind of a blur when I was out on that court because you were working and you were concentrating and um, Jennifer has a picture of me where I'm at the net, but I don't really ever remember being at the net. I remember more being in the back on the backhand side. And um, we had obviously, they had coached us and trained us. And we had spent many afternoons, you know, learning how to and when to get the ball and where it goes. And, you know, so it's as seamless as possible. And another one of my memories is that we were taught that if, if the ball was in the personal space of the player, either Billie Jean or Bobby Riggs, they would take the racket and they would hit it back to you. And that was kind of unspoken between professional tennis players. Mm -hmm. We were in the middle of the match and um, Billie Jean was losing and she was not very happy. And she was, on the, she was on my side, on the backhand side serving and she hit the first serve and it hit the tape of the net and it rolled back so that the line, the guy, the ball person at the net, did, it moved too quickly, did not pick it up. So I'm in the back and I'm kind of up and down and, okay, do I get the ball? Do I get the ball? Do I get the ball? And it rolled and rolled and landed on Billie Jean King's shoe. So I'm waiting for her to hit yeah. it back. And I'm kind of, okay, what do I do? What do I do? And over, you know, the empire, over the whole Astrodome and national TV says, ball girl, please pick up the ball. And the whole Astrodome applauds as I run out there <laughs> and I pick up the ball off her shoe, which I could have tied together. I mean, it was so humiliating, you wow. know? That's crazy. Uh, it was really, so I had these two weird experiences so if you want to know what I feel about it, I was a little under un, impressed with these two clowns, you know, I mean, both of them were, I've kind of, at the time, I kind of felt like it was adults behaving poorly. Is that right? Wow. So now when you think back on it, what, what kind of impact did that have on you that just kind of being in that atmosphere? Cause you, you went on to play tennis at Rice and, uh, no, 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 no. oh, that's, that's Jennifer. Oh, Jennifer. I thought you both did. Okay. Okay. Never mind. No, I I played for Tulane University okay. in New York. So I, um, I ended up playing for four years at Tulane and, um, you know, that was pretty much the end of my, 
I still hit giggle, but I, I never really played competitive tennis after college. It kind of burned me out. It was pretty intense. So, um, but you know, I don't know what I, what I think about it looking back. Um, oh, I still have another story. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm willing Are to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I like these stories. <laughs> well, they were kind of, you know, uh, so we, Obviously, my mother was there. She picked me up from school. We got to miss a day of school, which was a huge deal. And there was a pro-am tournament that played in the during the day, kind of as bring you know, waiting for the big attraction at night. And Billie Jean King was going to present Bobby Riggs with a little piglet as the male chauvinist pig. Ah, got it. But the pig got lost in the Astrodome. <laughs> oh my God. So they sent all the ball girls and ball boys off to find this little piglet. And it was finally found, I think one of the ball boys found it in the ladies restroom somewhere. And so it was, you know, that was about a three hour activity for us instead of being ball girls and ball boys for the pro-am, we were looking for Billie Jean's piglet so she could present it to Bobby Riggs, but thank God it was, you know, so it was all of the shenanigans and he came out, do you remember dressed up as a sugar daddy with all of these Las Vegas girls carrying him in there and it was quite the show, but you know, I don't know if I have a lasting impression. Other well, it's than interesting to hear you because I mean, I, I figured that you would, I mean, such a, that, that's such a moment. I mean, 90 million people watched it around the world and it's the most attended tennis match of all time and all that sort of stuff that the hype around it, it's just kind of su not surprising, but it's just interesting to hear your side of it and to see that, you know, this was just pretty much just a show and uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't the impression that you maybe would have thought. It's more impressive to people who I tell that I did it than it was for me because you know, as a young girl at 13, I had two interesting experiences with both of them where I felt like it was inappropriate behavior, mm -hmm. you know? And back then it wasn't a big deal. You don't do, you know, make a big deal out of it. It was just about life. So if anything, it made me a stronger little girl to stand up to these two kind of famous people in my opinion, during that time, behaving incorrectly. Yeah. What was it like being in the dome though with 30,000 people? That was pretty awesome. And that's, especially when they all applauded me to go pick up the ball. <laughs> it, that was pretty awesome. But, you know, we were also concentrating on not messing up that a lot of that was background noise. And um, I would like to watch the match again. I think it would be, it would be interesting to see. Um, but it, I know you want me to tell you it was a long lasting. No, no, I actually, no, this is, this is interesting. That's, it's interesting because, yeah. Because that's what you would have thought. Well, no, I mean, yeah, honestly, because, you know, the being on the court and such a, you know, you know how the, maybe the, it, maybe it's cliche. And then the story goes that, you know, the, you know, ball girls on the court, you see these impressive figures like, oh my gosh, I'm going to strive to be better. But you got better in a different way and not in the traditional sense as far as, you know, the tennis goes. Right, because yeah. in both situations, 
I mean, maybe humiliated is too strong of a word, but in both situations, uh, I was embarrassed, you know, um, by these famous people, kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. So did you so, love this? Did you love the sport more after or before? Do you remember if you changed your, your love for the sport, even though you went to go play for college and for Tulane and all that? I don't think so. I think, you know, um, back in the day when I was playing a lot of competitive tennis, um, you know, we were also motivated to, um, to work hard and be better and improve our state ranking. And it was always a goal for me to get a tennis scholarship um, so that I could, you know, go to an interesting school. And I always wanted my tennis to um, pay for my education, but I never wanted a career in tennis. I just wanted it as a means for, for a goal at the end. And I would not say that Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King in any way influenced or made me feel a stronger tennis player or my, it did not increase my drive to play longer and harder and improve. Um, all of that really came from within. And I, I would have to guess that all of us that were at that level in Texas playing tennis at the time, we were also self-motivated that this was kind of like a circus and this was a sideshow and this was just a gig to miss a day of school and, and have fun. You know, I don't think it ever, I don't think it motivated any of us to um, reach higher levels. And in fact, when my husband pulled it up and we kind of looked at it, I thought, oh, this is so embarrassing. This is such rinky dink tennis. I mean, it, it's if you look at did you watch have you watched the match since so the, so the video I have, I have seen parts of it yeah so the the thing that they sent me from CBS was just basically like a like a highlight melt it wasn't uh -huh. anything you know it wasn't and, a whole match that ball girl pick up the ball no that, that, that was not included in the highlight melt <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's that was a highlight you know of my life you know that the whole astrodome applauds me so so I gotta ask you one final question so obviously the talk around that match was, you know, the women's equality, women's pay equality. She she felt like this, the, she was very important. She felt like she had to win this match. Right. Um, did you sense that as a, as a young girl with the, uh, with, with that being something that was at stake at that moment? It was for her, Billie Jean, but did you sense it? Did you kind of feel that at the importance of just the uh, victory for her impacting women's tennis later on down the road? Probably so. I mean, women's tennis at that point was Virginia Slims was just beginning and it was, you know, the prize money was still so much lower than the men's prize money. And uh, I did feel that. And going into the match, I really wanted Billie Jean King to win. Um, and, and then I wasn't so sure after she kind of embarrassed me on the court, uh, I, I lost my enthusiasm for her. But um, I probably did have that sense going into the match that I wanted her to win so that women would be recognized equally in the, in the tennis profession like men would be. And it also, and I don't, I don't remember if I 
could verbalize it then. But you know, Title IX, you know what mm -hmm. Title IX is? Yep, yep, yep. It's where, and I was, a, I was, you know, I benefited from Title IX right. because a couple of years before, all of this money was poured into women's sports and I was heavily recruited, probably recruited more than my ability was. Mm. Um, and so I had a choice of schools that I could go on full tennis scholarship. Um, and maybe part of that was the Billie Jean King match. And, yeah. and then afterwards, um, she was always a component between her and Martina and Chrissy Everett and Margaret Court, all of those old, you know, stoic, awesome tennis players. They were all my heroes. Um, and so I guess to a certain extent, that is true. Yeah. How yeah. did you meet uh, Jennifer? Did you, play, <laughs> did you play against her or did you guys at the same age? We are the same age. We went to, um, I can't remember when I met Jennifer, if it was in junior high or elementary school. Or oh, okay. It's a long time, long time. Long time. And um, she was always a tennis player. She played at the same club that we played. And we were talking about it the other day. And I said, Jennifer, who did you play in the semifinals? And she said, well, I can't remember. And I said, well, you either played me or Pam. And she said, well, I know I didn't play Pam. I said, okay, then you played me. And she said, you know, I kind of remember <laughs> that you beat me in the semis. And I remember thinking that um, it was okay that Eva was gonna beat me because I'm in the semis anyway. So she was able to sit on the court and she participated as well. So I've known Jennifer um, for a long time. We played. When she played at Rice, I played her once, um, and we still are, are good friends. I mean, yeah. so we, we keep up, and we don't play tennis anymore. I used to play mixed doubles with her. Her husband is a good tennis player, so okay. Gary. I haven't played with him in, in a couple of years, but um, anyway, it's... How's your, husband, how's your husband's tennis game, then? My husband's tennis game? Not very good. <laughs> <laughs> oh man you no know, we don't we don't play tennis we play pickleball we he's okay he's a big biker so we you know we have five bikes here so we mountain bike we road bike we you know we we're gonna go take the our dog our golden that you hear chewing up on the pass and go snowshoeing it's snowing outside today so we'll try to go downhill again tomorrow and we just try to stay you know as active as possible and um and love it here in Colorado, but we spend, it's half and half. We spend time mm -hmm. in use as well. So um, I, there was something that I was gonna, I thought about it and now I'm having a senior moment about tennis and playing and what was it about Jennifer? You Are you just only talking to the girls from the matches? The ball yeah, girls? those are the only ones I've been able to find. Um, well, I'm able Pam Hill beat me in the finals. Well, so I've got I've got both of you, and then I, like I said, I I talked to Dale Robertson of the Houston Post. Yeah, you know, so he 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 was he was those was his first big reporting gig at the Houston Post, and then he went on to cover sports in Houston for like forty plus years. And so he gave he kind of gave his impressions of the match too, and all that. He kind of agreed. <laughs> it was like it was just a big show, really. I mean, that's the, it was a big show. Yeah. yeah and, and and the tennis was pretty lousy and yeah it, it wasn't um it wasn't good tennis you know there was you know when you play tennis it should be quiet i mean it was rowdy you know from the the 
audience was participating and booing. And so it just, it, it wasn't an elegant, typical Wimbledon match. Yeah. So that'll do it. Battle of the Sexes recap. Uh, hope you enjoyed this uh, podcast. A little different, but I thought it was kind of cool to reminisce and uh, go back and look at some of those uh, cool historic moments, this being one of them in the Astrodome back in 1973. That has been episode 49. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us. Hope you enjoyed it. Episode 50, right around the corner. Hopefully I can get that up soon. And I will have more on that coming up. But until then, I will see you later.